It's good to be together, gathered in the name of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal savior from sin, the only hope for the planet, one who will come again, perhaps soon, the one who is the central focus of this holy book, and the one and the only one worth living for. I know friends whose marriage was in real trouble. The husband regularly went to his work very early in the morning, and he didn't come home until very early in the morning of the next day. He said that he was working late and then crashing to get some shut-eye at his guy friend's place. The wife's very best girlfriend meant an awful lot to her. They shared many common interests and really vast abilities. They worked together very well and often. These two women were soulmates. Sometimes they'd go on vacations together without their husbands or their kids. And neither the husband nor the wife saw any problem in what they were doing. After all, they said, we have a modern and progressive marriage. And they would tell you that you had no business faulting it. Sad to say, but not surprisingly, my friend's marriage didn't make it. Emotional isolation and sexual infidelity eventually crumbled their home down into rubble. When did that adultery start? Long before illicit sex. For both of them, the adultery started in the head and not in the bed. The adultery started when each of them gave their heart to something or to someone instead of to each other. Work and career and money-making and selfishness and neglect were my male friend's mistress before he even took a face and a phone number of a woman. And civic causes, political action, and heart-to-heart talks over coffee and familyless vacations were the home records for my female friend. It all seemed so innocent, but it was far from that. Adultery causes us to forget our first love. Adultery drives a wedge between us and our husband or our wife. Our vows before God and witnesses are broken like the three coconut trees at the parsonage during Matthew. For born-again Christians, we are pledged to love 
for more than just our lifetimes, we are pledged to love the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. Jesus is our bridegroom, and collectively, we are his bride. And often the wedge that comes between us as a believer in Jesus is a system. A system. And that system is called a world view. A world view. A world view is how you see life, how you see truth, how you see your purpose, how you see your ethics, how you see yourself. That's a world view. And it is interesting, in one power-packed verse in the fourth chapter of James, verse 4, tells us a lot about our worldview and how dangerous it is if it's not biblical. James 4.4 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Yes, James 4.4 identifies a very most dangerous worldview, and it calls it the world. The world. This sermon is titled, Avoiding Satan's Will for Your Life. And each of this sermon's five points will contrast God's will for you and Satan's will for you. Let's start with the first truth. God's will is no marriage to the world. Satan's will is adultery with the world. Let me say that again. God's will is no marriage with the world, and Satan's will is adultery with the world. Verse 4 again, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Let me give you a working definition of the world. What is the world in Scripture? Well, it's not all the continents and the seas, and it's not even the peoples of the earth, but in this context, scripturally, the world is the following. The world is a whole system that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus out. The world is a system, a way of doing life, that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus out. The world system is trying to explain origin, meaning, morality, and destiny without God. The world system that cheerfully, completely leaves Jesus out is a system that's trying to explain origin, meaning, morality, and destiny without God. A person who accepts this system of the world as being valid asks, what's my origin? And answers, nothing to do with Christ. Or, what's my meaning? And answers, nothing to do with Jesus. And what's my morality? And answers, nothing to do with Christ or with his teachings. Or, what's my destiny? And answers, don't bring Jesus Christ into that. 
This totally Christless system, which the scriptures call the world, includes education, philosophy, the arts, commerce, politics, ethics, economics, morality, law, medicine, science, sociology, psychology, false religions, and on and on and on. Now, in both the Old and New Testaments, God compares his relationship to his redeemed people as being married to them. In both the Old and the New Testament, God pictures believers in him who are in right relationship to him that we are married to God. Now, please listen and hear me. When a Christian marries him or herself to the world, then that Christian commits spiritual adultery. In the Old Testament, one example, God had his prophet Hosea marry a prostitute. Gomer was her name. And why would God direct his prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute? Because he wanted to show the nation that they were committing spiritual adultery like a harlot with respect to him. In the New Testament, more than, men, more than one place, rather in many places, the church, you and I, believers in the Lord Jesus, the redeemed, we are called the bride of Christ. And he is our bridegroom. And when the church has a love that's ahead of Christ, we commit spiritual adultery. And when individual believers have a love that's deeper than the love for Jesus, that individual believer commits spiritual adultery. Yes, Jesus is our bridegroom, and we are married to Jesus. We are spoken for. Spoken for. And the Holy Spirit is our wedding ring. He is our wedding ring. And for us who trust Christ for salvation and who live under his lordship, to live as though we are married to a world system is to commit spiritual adultery. Isn't that exactly what verse 4 starts with? You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We, whether we are male or female, we are all called adulteresses, feminine, because our bridegroom, Christ, is male in his humanity. And so, it is both obvious, I think, and convicting that God's will for each of us is no marriage with the world. And Satan's will for each of us is adultery with the world. Which leads us to our second point, which is God's will is oneness. Satan's will is isolation. God 
has will because God is personality. He is a spirit personality, but God is personality. God has intellect. He thinks thoughts. God has emotions. He feels feelings. And God has a will. He makes choices. God has personality. And one thing that God wills for his believers, us, is oneness. God wills that we all would be one with the Son of God, and therefore, if we're all one with the Son of God, we are one with each other. If you hold your place in James and go with me to John, John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus' words, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus used a horticultural illustration to say that the branch has to be in contact with the vine, has to be one with the vine in order to bear grapes. We must be one with Christ, that he would see the Holy Spirit produce the fruit of the Spirit on the branches of our lives. You know, Satan doesn't want us to be one with the Lord Jesus, and Satan doesn't want us to be one with each other either. Satan wants us to be isolated. If God has personality, and he does, Satan, as a fallen angel, also has personality. Satan is not a force. He's a personality, an evil personality. And Satan has intellect. Satan has emotion. And Satan has will. And we're seeing aspects of Satan's will in this message. And this point we're on now, the second point, is the will of Satan for you is isolation. Isolation from your wife or your husband. Isolation from your parents. Isolation from your church family. Isolation. Satan has a plan for your life, but it's not for your good. Satan's plan is to kill you spiritually and physically. He's a murderer. He's an accuser. He's a liar. And one of his most used tools to do his work is isolation. As he accuses you in isolation. As he lies to you in isolation. As he tries to kill you spiritually in isolation. I think it's helpful to realize that Satan is always about this business. To make us isolated from Jesus, to make us isolated from Jesus' people, to make us isolated from the Bible, to make us isolated from our mate. One of the most common ways that Satan will isolate a Christian is to get that Christian to love the world. If Satan can get me to love the world, the system that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus Christ out of everything, he's well on his way. Yes, one of the most common ways that Satan isolates a Christian is to get that Christian to love the world. And sometimes we call this dangerous love for the world worldliness, worldliness. 
Worldliness, also known as loving the world, also known as buying into the system and the worldview that cheerfully and completely leaves Christ out of everything, is a big threat because it leaves the worldly Christian teetering on the brink of isolation. Nowadays, worldliness, the love of the world, disguises itself. It dresses itself up to look pretty sharp. It dresses itself in the clothes of sophistication and intelligence and style and popularity and being with it and elitism and reason and academia and pluralism and tolerance and, and, and. But verse 4 strips worldliness naked. And verse 4 tells it like it is. And again, verse 4 is, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's truth. Verse 4 hits right at Worldliness, it devalues worldliness, it warns about worldliness, it exposes worldliness for what it is, hostility toward God. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, at this point, after seeing, number one, that God's will is no marriage with the world and Satan's will is adultery with the world, and secondly, after seeing God's will is oneness and Satan's will is isolation, you may be wondering about verses like John 17. John 17, verses 15 and 16, which read... Jesus' words about praying to the Father about his followers. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. How does that truth from the Savior reconcile to what we're teaching from James? This way. Jesus was praying that we would be in the world system, but not of the world system. Jesus wants us to be in the world system, but he doesn't want the world system to be in us. It's like a boat. A boat in the water is no problem, but water in the boat is a big problem. We are to be in the world system, but the world system is not to be in us. And so we don't get isolated. We don't love the world system which ignores Jesus. On to our third point. God's will is love for God, and Satan's will is hostility toward God. God's will is that you love him. Satan's will is that you hate God. And why? Why is worldliness, the love of the world system, why is worldliness hostility toward God, at least three reasons. Because number one, worldliness is adultery against God. Second, worldliness is hatred of God. You do not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God, and worldly persons are enemies of God. 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Worldliness, the love of the world is problematic because worldliness is adultery against God. Worldliness is hatred of God. And worldly persons are enemies of God. Now, at this point, I know what some of you might be thinking by way of objection. Wait a minute. Simple friendship with the world makes me an adulterer? I don't think so. And not putting Christ in the middle of absolutely everything makes me an enemy of God who hates God? I don't agree with that. These are hasty conclusions to me, Pastor. Exaggerations. Making mountains out of molehills. Just relax. Some things are religious, but most things are secular. Don't go fanatical on me. You're making too big of a deal about Jesus. Chill. My friend, this is not exaggeration. This is not a case of making a mountain out of a molehill. Actually, it's just the opposite. This is warning that cheerfully and completely leaving Jesus Christ out of everything makes a molehill into a mountain. Jesus is the biggest and most important mountain of them all. We dare not make him to be some puny little molehill in our lives by loving a world system that leaves Christ out, completely out. And so I must regularly be checking myself with this question. Do I love Jesus the most? Or do I most love the system that cheerfully and completely leaves him out? So far in James 4, verse 4, we've seen three things. Number one, God's will is no marriage with the world, and Satan's will is adultery with the world. And number two, God's will is oneness, and Satan's will is isolation. And number three, God's will is love for God, and Satan's will is hostility toward God. Let's go on to point four. God's will is wanting God's friendship. And Satan's will is wanting the world's friendship. You can be friends. In fact, you are going to be friends, either of God or of the world. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the, the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you know what kind of friendship and what kind of a friend James 4 is talking about? There are two different Greek words in the New Testament for love. There is agape love and there is phileo love. Agape love and phileo love. Agape love is the highest type of love. Agape love is God's love for us. Agape love is unconditional. It is sacrificial. And agape love gives without expecting anything in return. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's agape love. The other kind of love in the New Testament is phileo love. Phileo love is friendship love. You help me and I'll help you. I'll like you if you're likable. Don't ask me to sacrifice for you. We're friends when it's convenient. We're friends when I feel like it. 
We're friends if I get something out of it. I'm your friend as long as you are friendly to me. Friends come and go, so don't cross me. The Greek word which is translated friendship and friend here in verse 4 of chapter 4 of James is phileo. All this means that when a Christian makes him or herself friends with the world, then that Christian is set up for letdown and disappointment and loneliness. Tony Walters put it all this way, quote, He who marries the spirit of this age is soon a widower. It's right, of course, to be a friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God in James 2, verse 23. Moses was also called the friend of God in Exodus 33, verse 11. And Christ's first disciples were called friends of God in John 15, verse 15. And believers like all of us, all of us, are called friends of God in John 15, 13 to 14. Being God's friend is a privilege, Being the world's friend is a problem. Being God's friend displays God's renown. Being the world's friend devalues God's reputation. A few years ago, there was a tremendous public outcry in America over the introduction of a new dollar coin. It was called the Susan B. Anthony dollar coin. The thought was that this new dollar coin would be an improvement on paper $1 bills because it would be more durable. The problem was the new coin's size. It was too close in size to a 25-cent quarter. And so often the new dollar coin and the quarter were mixed up. Legally, the $1 coin was worth a full dollar, but practically many times mixed up with something else, it was passed off in error as a quarter. Of course, this new coin quickly became a nuisance and an irritation to Americans. Again, the new coin's size and the older quarter-dollar coin size were indistinguishable from each other. That's what it's like when a Christian goes the world's way and doesn't leave Jesus in. When a lost person sees such a Christian who cannot be distinguished from persons who take Jesus completely out, then they are confused at best and they are judgmental at worst. And like the Susan B. Anthony $1 coin didn't actually go down in its value, Christians don't actually go down in their worth to the eyes of heaven because eyes of heaven see all Christians through robed in Christ's righteousness. But like the Susan B. Anthony $1 coin became a nuisance, worldly Christians greatly annoy skeptics and unbelievers and people who are walking in the Spirit. So let me wrap this up. James 4 is quite the verse. James 4, verse 4 is quite the verse. We have seen today God's and Satan's will as they pertain to the world system and to worldliness, the love of the world system. And we have seen these things so that we can avoid Satan's will for our lives. We've seen the four things in James 4, 4. 
Number one, God's will is no marriage with the world, but Satan's will is adultery with the world. Number two, God's will is oneness, Satan's will is isolation. Number three, God's will is love for God, Satan's will is hostility toward God. And number four, God's will is wanting friendship with God, Satan's will is wanting friendship with the world. I encourage you to size yourself up. With the Spirit of God's help, I encourage you to size yourself up. Four questions to ask to size yourself up. Am I true to my marriage vows and to my marriage with Jesus? Do I live at one with Jesus and his people? Do I love God or oppose him? With whom do I most want to be friends? On that last question, with whom do I most want to be friends, let me tweak it a bit. A question, is Christ all in for my life? Or is Christ conveniently out in my Mondays to Saturdays. I love to scuba dive. Such a different and a beautiful world under there. And Australia's Great Barrier Reef is a place that I hope to dive one day. And on that reef, a friendship exists between the sea anemone and the clownfish. The sea anemone has a tubular body and circles of tentacles. It eats fish, but it doesn't eat clownfish. The clownfish is a tiny fish, and it swims toward the anemone, and then it swims right into the anemone's poisonous tentacles. And when it's there, it attracts, the clownfish attracts other larger fish. And when those larger fish get near to the anemone, the anemone immobilizes them with poison and then it eats them. As the anemone's friend, the clownfish is not immobilized. It is temporarily immune to the tentacle's poison. But after many days, Many weeks, many months of hanging around and being friends with the anemone, the clownfish gradually grows sick and weak. And when that happens, it is no longer immune to the anemone's poison. So it becomes poisoned and immobilized and lunch. None of us ever wants to be isolated friends of the world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ completely out. And few of us could ever imagine slipping down to the point of being spiritual adulterers who are isolated from Christ and the word, isolated from our spouses and the family of God, thus becoming enemies who hate the Lord. But it can happen. And it happens when we strike up a friendship with the world. And then when that friendship with the world continues and deepens. And so, 
swim away from the world. Little clownfish, swim away. <laughs>